the only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome along to Sunday night's edition of the Football Social Daily. Another massive weekend in the Premier League as the season enters into its final stage with just four more weekends of Premier League action this season. No change at the top. Manchester City and Liverpool both keeping up their incessant pace with vital home wins for Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp. City do still have the edge, however, but both sides know there is no room for error in the final few weeks of the campaign. Liverpool's Merseyside derby win over Everton and City's thrashing of Watford do maintain the status quo, but the title chat is again pushed into part two of the show this weekend with the race for the top four taking centre stage. Manchester United's woes continue down in North London as they lost to Arsenal in the Saturday lunchtime game. The Gunners now find themselves back in the Champions League box seat with Tottenham drawing against Brentford and West Ham slipping up at Chelsea. And then to round it all off on tonight's podcast, we'll be checking in with the picture down the bottom. Another big, big result for Burnley. Two wins in the week, plus three other games in the last 48 hours. Right then, let's get kicked off. My name's Fergal Brennan. And joining me tonight, we have a Manchester City combo just as potent as Kevin De Bruyne and Gabriel Jesus. From Goal.com, we have Jonathan Smith. Jonathan, how are we doing? I'm not sure about that uh, comparison. It's probably, I think it's going to head back to the days when in the second division, probably. No, 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 no. This is definitely more De Bruyne and Jesus. <laughs> well, this is not... bag, bags, Bagsy De Bruyne, to be fair. Bagsy De Bruyne, <laughs> so, okay. It could be Jesus. I, uh, I, think, I think that's fair enough. That's um, the Athletics man at the Etihad, Sam Lee, or Sam De Bruyne, to give him his new title. Sam, how are you doing? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, all good. Very good, very good. Thanks very much. Wonderful stuff. Jonathan, if he's Bagsy and De Bruyne, four goals at the weekend for Gabriel Jesus, surely you can't complain about that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll take uh, Jesus. He sounds like a good, good person to be. Okay, sweet. Right. Well, we are going to talk about Man City and their destruction of Watford in part two of the show. But as I mentioned in the intro, the big interest this weekend, really, Jonathan, is the race for top four, the race for Champions League qualification next season. And we're almost back where we were a month ago. Arsenal ending the weekend in pole position for that final top four spot. They've got themselves a two-point lead over Manchester United as the weekend comes to a close. And a week really is a long time in football, particularly in Premier League football. Rewind just seven days ago, Arsenal three defeats on the run, losing to Southampton, but two massive results this week, winning away at Chelsea in midweek and then beating United at home this weekend. They do have a difficult run-in between now and the end of the campaign. Five really important games. But we find ourselves asking the same question as we were about a month to six weeks ago of, have Arsenal passed the test? Have they passed the Arsenal test? And can they hold on? Well, I would have to say yes this week, but no in the previous weeks. I mean, if you you, you go back a month and I, it kind of looked like the top four race was done. Arsenal were, were playing well. Well organised, they knew what they were doing. They were all settled into the Arteta way of doing things, and it felt like a bit of a you know a comfortable few fixtures. So just to keep that um, gap from United and Spurs, and then obviously it all went horribly wrong against Palace, Brighton, Southampton. Three bad defeats, and that's brought everyone back into it. So yeah, it's been strange sort of month uh, for them. Turn it round with brilliant wins at Chelsea, and then yesterday against United. Like you say, though, they've got some very tough games to come. Obviously, the North London derby, still got to have that at uh, the Tottenham Stadium. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a fascinating race right until until the end. Um, it's, yeah, they're ahead at the moment, but Spurs aren't going to give that up. And obviously, Harry Kane is one of the form players in the Premier League at the moment. They've got goals, although obviously didn't score at the weekend and didn't have a shot on target, but generally they have goals. So, yeah, it's a big race. For all the positivity coming out of Arsenal at the moment, yet more negativity for Manchester United at the weekend, Sam. Cristiano Ronaldo bagging his 100th Premier League goal was one bright spark on a pretty dismal, a disappointing weekend for Ralph Rangnick. And you might almost miss the days of leaks from Manchester United where you didn't know where the stories that were sneaking out of Old Trafford were coming from. Now they're just admitting it in public. Ralph Rangnick said after the game that their top four chances are gone. Scott McTominay gave a really straightforward and honest interview with BT Sports where he said there was loads of problems at Manchester United right now. And then in one of the more bizarre stories, 
Paul Scholes said that he bumped into Jesse Lingard during the week and he just happened to mention to him that the Manchester United dressing room is a disaster right now. Given the position that Manchester United are in, they can't win a title, they can't win a cup, they've probably, according to Rangnick now, missed out on the Champions League. When we've had Jay Motti and Rob Blanchett and some of the other United heads on in the past, they've been in the of the of the mindset that if you don't get fourth and Champions League, they're not interested in Europa and they're definitely not interested in the Europa Conference League. Do you think United would be happy to almost just write this season off, get Ten Hag through the door and just get building for next year? I mean, I suppose, like, in an ideal world, like, by the end of the season, it's like, okay, yeah, finish ninth or eighth. No no, no European football at all if it's not going to be the Champions League and then carry on. But it's not it's not as, as simple as that. United can't just go and purposely lose the, the last few games. Like, <laughs> if, if somehow results conspire for that to happen, I'm sure United fans would actually be very happy just because it's a terrible season this year, but everyone kind of knows that already. And then, yeah, it's kind of a blank slate next season. If you don't have any European football, you can at least, you know, one, one game a week. It's, it's a bit of a, a recipe for success in a way because the, the resources aren't as stretched. Mm. Um, but not, I don't know how that would actually work in practice. Um, the the skulls thing is absolutely mad, by the way. Like, mm. obviously, talking to to two journalists here. Like, whenever we, whenever you speak to agents or whatever, or people around players, and look, sometimes you speak to players, and you have to say our source is close to, and so, because you can't make it obvious where it's coming from. But like, sometimes when you speak to people like that, they're like, "Oh, don't don't put my name in it," and we're like, "Well, obviously, we never would. Like, yeah. we never ever would." But they have to say it because it's like an obvious disclaimer. The fact that Skulls said, "Oh, I was speaking to Jesse Lingard," and I'm sure he won't mind me saying, it's absolutely mad. Yeah, it's such it's such a weird thing to to give away publicly. And I think Lingard said afterwards, he was like, "Oh, next time I'll just keep it cordial." Like, wh- why would you ever? Like, <laughs> there's such a small group or such a small circle the footballers speak to um and then for skulls to go on like international television and and say the name he could have said anything he could have just said i've been speaking to somebody around it that would be fine that's how that's how you you know and he, yeah there was a very weird situation but yeah united there's like you said with having jay and rob on in the past united's problems have been covered i mean i've done it enough over the last five years six years um it's it's obvious, um, but in terms of the game on on Saturday, they were reasonably unlucky. Um, they they could have got something from the game, um, but to kind of balance that out, if we want to go down the shambles route, then I suppose you could say that Bruno Fernandez should have been sent off. So it was a it was a bit of a strange game. And Jonathan Ralph Rangnick was clearly irked by this this bizarre meeting between Paul Scholes and Jesse Lingard because when he was asked if there's discontent in the dressing room, he said you better ask Jesse Lingard. And Ralph Rangnick does seem to be kind of creating this position now where he's almost had enough he was brought in on a on a basis to get through to the end of the season when a permanent manager would be brought in this assumed position that he's going to step up and take on a new role at Manchester United is now in doubt as well he's seen a picture that maybe he doesn't like and he's for me he has been a bit of a fall guy for issues as Sam said that have been going on at Manchester United for a long time Ralph Rangnick never had any desire to be Manchester United's long-term manager I certainly don't think and he definitely has not felt that in the last few weeks is there a temptation for him now to say no this isn't the right move for me maybe working with Ten Hag might work it might not work and ultimately this club is very very sour and I want out well, I think everything that's happened around that incident with the dressing room and all all the leaks that are coming out from United just shows how the, how big the problems are because happy dressing rooms don't leak information like that. And I, I think Ranić's been shocked at quite how bad it is. He hasn't been able to keep a lid on anything. And, and if anything, things have got worse. Um, but in terms of him staying on, I mean, if, if, if that's still the decision from the board that they still want him to take on this new role... Well, he's going to be out of the firing line a little bit more when he's sort of in the boardroom, you know, upstairs. You know, it's going to be Ten Hag who's going to be feeling the heat. I mean, if I, the thing with United is that it's it's a bit like a, a carousel. It just goes round and round and eventually it's your turn to be fired at. You know, it's it's the owners, it's the players, it's the manager, it's the coaches, it's the scouts. It, it's It'll be the sporting director. I mean, you know, it just goes round and round Um but you know, I think he'll be he'll be well paid, and he'll be. I, the, the thing is, with United, it's still a job that Ten Hag obviously, um, but Ranić will think that they can turn around. You know, it's 
you know, it's a, it, there's no doubt about that about it. They're one of the biggest clubs in England, and they they have players in that squad who should be doing better, should be performing better. Um, you know, I, there's no doubt there are there are issues, but it's going to take a while. But the the these these people aren't taking on this job on these jobs and these roles because you know purely for the money they believe that they can turn it around. So I'm sure that Ranić will just limp through to the end of the season and then hope for some sort of fresh start in the summer. You know, it wasn't too long ago that we're finishing second behind City, finished above Liverpool. And, you know, you can read a lot, perhaps read too much into that. You know, they weren't that good at that time. But, you know, start of the season when Ronaldo signed, everyone was talking about them challenging for the for the title. They're going to lose players in the summer, but, you know, it's it, things can, can be turned around. So I'm, I'm sure he'll want to be part of that. Before we move on to, to Spurs and Chelsea, Jonathan, I just want to get your take on this idea of where United could or would like to finish this season. This has been painted as a massive positive for Arsenal this season. The fact they've not had European football. Mikel Arteta's had more time on the training ground with the players, particularly relevant when you've got a young team. Eriksen Haag is going to come in and want to put his own ideas, his own stamp on the team. And that comes from having plenty of contact time with the players, training, coaching sessions, meetings, etc. Obviously, as Sam said, you can't just throw the last four or five games of the season. But Manchester United are in a different position to Arsenal in terms of off-pitch, financial, sponsorship, global reputation. By my count, I think they've only had one season where they've not played European football in the Premier League era. Do they just kind of go for broke and make sure they at least get Europa? Or maybe just a complete refreshing of the situation might benefit Ten Hag. Yeah, I mean, there's a few factors to take into consideration. I, I think it would be embarrassing if, if United weren't playing in Europe next season, even if it's Europa Conference. And you could say, actually, some of those fixtures might be a little bit humiliating if they're playing in, the, you know, I don't know, Malta, Cyprus or wherever, you know, potentially they could play in the Europa Conference League. Um, but I think they need to be in Europe because, you know, you look at, uh, as we're getting into the sort of April, May, it's fantastic to see teams like West Ham and Leicester getting a long, getting a long way in Europe, and it's exciting, and they're getting a lot of focus. They've got something to play for. They've got a trophy to play for. So, I think they need to be part of that. But also, there's issues around the squad, and if they, you know, there's, there's, there's talk of a lot of players leaving in the summer, but it's potentially a few more arriving. They could have a big squad next season, and that brings with it its own problems. You know, I think we've seen at clubs in the past where they have uh, a huge squad with players brought in by different managers. You know, some of that's, you know, I, I think um, in midweek, there were three Sir Alex Ferguson players that started the game for United. You've got Louis van Gaal players there. You've got Mourinho, uh, Rannick and Oli Solskjaer players. You know, if you've got a 20-man squad and you're trying to keep them happy, perhaps a couple of, you know, a few midweek games in Europe is going to help with that situation. So, I, I don't think they can turn down the opportunity of Europe. Uh, we're going to switch across to Spurs, Sam. Another game and another 90 minutes with no shots on target for Tottenham. And when you look at the comparison between when they're on it and when they're not, the difference is absolutely massive. Four games prior to their last two, they were fantastic in front of goal. Um, five against Newcastle, four against Villa, three against West Ham, two against Brighton, four consecutive wins. Obviously, plenty of shots on target because they were banging in goals. But when it doesn't work, it really doesn't work. Nil-nil away at Brentford yesterday, no shots on target. Harry Kane flashed a bicycle kick just wide with a few seconds to go. That was their only real chance. Brentford hit the bar and the post to Ivan Tony. Christian Eriksen, brilliant again for, for Thomas Frank's side. Antonio Conte, the Spurs fans, will be tearing their hair out over this because there's probably no more polarising side pushing for Europe this season than Tottenham. And, and I include Manchester United in that. Yeah, well, the, the thing is, I think people are wising up to this now. But obviously, if you if you are going for the top four, it's why we get this phrase every every spring. Does anybody want this top four place? Or nobody seems to want this top four place. But obviously, they do. They're just not consistent enough. So it's just it's just the kind of the manner of which that these different types of inconsistency show themselves. So with Tottenham, it's it's just a little quirk of not having shots on on target for two consecutive games. But obviously, like you said, a month ago, it's the kind of the situation we're in now. But a month ago, you know, Arsenal were flying and then they completely dropped off and now they were right again. Spurs were flying, although that 4-0 win against Villa, they obviously could have, they, they, 
you know they they could have been behind at half time they could have lost that game um but they you know that was that was the kind of time for Antonio Conte stocks that was oh what an appointment he's been Man United should have got him he's done a brilliant job and he has done a brilliant job to to get Spurs from where they were to where they are but that's only part of the way I know Spurs fans are a bit annoyed you know no plan b um didn't make any subs yesterday but I mean, this is just this is just what teams have to live with when they're when they're going for the top four they're not going to win every week and I suppose you, you want some level of of, of quality in the performance even if you're not going to win but that's not really how it works like if you can't expect them to be City and Liverpool or even Chelsea to an extent I'm sure we'll get on to how how they won earlier on it, it's a level below that so some weeks you're just going to have a shocker and and that's what we're seeing with these teams and I think it's it's generally what we see every, every year the final two teams that are in the race for top four and probably at the end of this weekend, Jonathan, one still is confirmed pretty much and one is probably out of it, is Chelsea and West Ham. 1-0 win at Stamford Bridge for Thomas Tuchel's side. Jorginho with, I'm going to say, definitely the worst penalty I've seen this season and genuinely one of the worst I've seen in the Premier League. But Christian Pulisic dubbed them out, got a goal in added time and, and three points. Strange kind of sensation around Stamford Bridge today. Lots of empty seats, fans frustrated at full time again. And Thomas Tuchel gave a very odd post-match press conference where he confirmed that Antonio Rudiger will be leaving the club this summer. He's rejected a contract extension and he will be moving on. There's doubts over Cesar Azpilicueta and Andres Christensen and probably other players if the current sanctions remain in place. This game confirmed pretty much Chelsea's place in the Champions League next season and stopped West Ham's gallop but Thomas Tuchel still looked defeated at the end of the game Yeah it's a strange end of the season for Chelsea really and it was a, they obviously went into this new campaign with a lot of hope on the back of you know a brilliant end to last season winning the Champions League you know it was incredible and and, it, and it's been a while since they've really competed for the Champions uh, for the Premier League and, and he thought they've got a manager there they brought Lukaku uh, and you thought this actually they could compete with City and Liverpool, and they've not even got close to it. Lukaku's obviously been a massive disappointment, um, and and yeah, the, the season's over in, in April. There's, there's not a lot to play for, so yeah, I I, I can understand why Tuchel's look, looking a little bit deflated, and he, he's got to get them going again for next season. Um, obviously, there's going to be new owners, possibly a couple of new signings, and and they'll go again. But I'd, I. I've got to say, I felt a little bit for Jorginho. It looked terrible, that penalty. I agree with you that. But he scored so many goals like that, that when they go in, no one bothers. But when, when they're saved like that, it does look embarrassing. But I would compare it to Bruno Fernandes at the weekend. He did the same thing and he didn't even get it on target. So I would say, for me, that's slightly worse. Sam, would you agree on, on a weekend of pretty poor penalties, Bruno's was worse than Jorginho? Yeah, yeah, there was a bit more um, exuberant leg action and it was off target. <laughs> and it was, uh, uh, maybe it was because I was in the Man City press room when Fernandez missed and there was a, there was, everyone was like, oh, and I, and I was as well. And, and maybe it's different because, well, actually I was on the phone to somebody when Jorginho missed his and I still did it. Oh, but it, yeah, the the level of, whoa, was, was, was more audible for me for the Bruno one. So yeah, I'll go for that. Can I just add something on the, the contract thing, by the way? I know a bit about this rather than waffle for a change. Uh, in terms of Rudiger, like his people, when they've wanted to have talks or, you know, they would ordinarily have had talks, there's just no one to speak to. There's nobody at the club that they can actually speak to. Nobody can give any assurances, obviously, because nobody knows who's going to own it. So the the reason why he's made the decision now is that well, I can't I can't afford to wait and tell other clubs to wait and hold on because they might go on to other targets. There's no there is nobody I can speak to at this club, so I'm I'm, I'm making the decision now and I'm going to move on. So you talk about other players in the same situation. I'm not saying they're going to be doing exactly the same thing, but I wouldn't be surprised. I think Christensen's leaving for sure. Uh, I don't know about Azpilicueta, but it's one of those things where if. I suppose for Azpilicueta at the end of his career you don't want to hang around and wait and miss the boat because nobody seems to know what's going on there is absolutely nobody you could even begin speaking to so it just makes sense for them to say sorry lads but because of the situation it's it's the best thing for my career to move on so I think that's probably why it's come come to light now 
But quickly, before we take a break, I'm going to get a prediction off the two of you in terms of the top four position. Ralph Rangnick has said that Manchester United are now out of it. West Ham probably, realistically, are out of the top four race. Obviously, they've got an opportunity through the Europa League for a backdoor route. So, Jonathan, looking at the run-in, Arsenal Spurs, five games each between now and the end of the season. Arsenal have got West Ham away, Leeds at home, Spurs away in the North London derby, Newcastle away, and then Everton at home on the final day. Spurs at home to Leicester, they go to Liverpool then in the game after that, at home to Arsenal, at home to Burnley, and then they go to Norwich on the final game of the season. Spurs have to make up two points to match Arsenal and three to better them. Who is going to get it? I think it's going to be the winner of the North London derby, really, looking at those fixtures. So whoever wins that, I think will get fourth place. And I think, as it's at Spurs, I think it probably be Tottenham. OK, so you're going for Spurs. Sam, yeah. I've, I've read out the fixtures there. Go on, give it to us. Yeah, it's good. No, it's, that's good logic. And um, those are difficult fixtures, aren't they, for both teams? I think Arsenal's possibly worse, harder. Um, hmm. Spurs have to go to yeah. Liverpool. Yeah, they do. They do. But I mean, that that's one. That's one game. Um, whereas you know Norwich at home end of the season. I suppose Arsenal get Everton at home, so that that kind of balances out. But Newcastle away. Newcastle, they're not one of those teams now where they got to the end of the season and they've done well and they give up. They're kind of, they're starting their season now. They're on a roll. Newcastle away is horrible. Tottenham away probably gives them the advantage. Leeds at home, fair enough. West Ham away, a bit tricky, but maybe they're resting for Europa League. Mm, yeah, I, I like John's logic. I'm going with that, Spurs. I've no idea, but it, it makes sense to me. I'm absolutely no chance I'm going to be going for Spurs. I'm, I'm sticking with Arsenal, even though I'm terrified to say it. I think the North London derby is actually going to be a draw and that will play right into Arsenal's favour because I just think Tottenham just play hot or cold. They'll either blow Arsenal away or Arsenal will have enough to hold on to them. And then I think as long as Arsenal don't lose the North London derby, I think, I hope that they should be home and hosed for Champions League qualification. But there's still going to be a few twists and turns to go between now and the end of the campaign. Right, we're going to give it a rest for the top four race. Take a quick break. After the break, we are switching to the title race. Wins for Manchester City and Liverpool. They will not leave each other alone in the final few weeks of the season. Big, big trophies on offer for Guardiola and Klopp. We're going to be talking about the latest picture at the Etihad and at Anfield in just a sec. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Sunday night's edition of the Football Social Daily. With the top four in the bag, we are switching attention to the Premier League title race. Jonathan, is as you were at the top. Probably nobody really expected anything different this weekend. Manchester City 5, Watford 1 and then Liverpool beating Everton 2-0 at Anfield in the Merseyside derby. We're going to touch on Liverpool in just a second but Manchester City straight into top gear right from the start in this one. A few wobbles, a few defensive little worrying moments where Watford could have done more but in reality, job done, box ticked, that massive game against Real Madrid to come in midweek and as it stands, Pep, City... They have the advantage. Yeah, it was a sort of old school City performance in terms of that, you know, got it won nice and early and were able to rest players like De Bruyne as well as leaving out the likes of Bernardo Silva and Phil Foden, Riyad Mahrez came on late. So a few players got a little bit of a rest ahead of the game against Real Madrid. Um, obviously, defensively, few concerns. Uh, John Stones wasn't involved and, and Pep said he's, it's going to be tight to see whether he's fit for Madrid. Uh Kyle Walker obviously is looking a bit like he's going to miss that game too as well. He had that got injured out in Atletico Madrid, did his ankle and has not played a minute since. So, and with Cancelo missing, for, he's suspended as well. So yeah, the defense is going to be stretched. So I did my piece this morning around Zinchenko because obviously everything that's going on in Ukraine at the moment, it's it's been a horrible couple of months for him. Very difficult to concentrate on football. Um, Obviously, it's it's been a bit of a salvation to get away from the news and and seeing everything that's happening in the Ukraine. So, um, but he's not played too much, and yesterday was kind of a big game. It was, I think it was his first Premier League start since everything's happened since the Russian invasion, and I thought he had a really good game. He was he, he, he City were ahead inside three minutes. It was Zinchenko who provided the assist, um, doing what he's done for a few years. You know, just just 
supplementing the attack, understands exactly what he's required to do in Guardiola's system. Um, so that was, a, that was a big positive ahead of uh, the game against Real Madrid, which is you know going to be massive now. Um, obviously, one of the big talking points was Gary Jesus knocking in four goals for Manchester City. And it's been an interesting week for the Brazilian striker, Sam, because there's been speculation that Arsenal might come knocking in the summer if they get Champions League. And obviously, he has been important for Manchester City ever since his arrival at the club, but potentially, arguably, never absolutely first choice. All the speculation that Erling Haaland might be coming in this summer is only going to edge him closer to a possible exit. So Pep Guardiola's post-game comments were very interesting and, and quite pleasant surrounding him. He said he fights for every single ball. He helps the team every single time he's on the pitch. One day I'll ask him to play right back and he'll give me absolutely everything. It's not necessary for him to score four goals to know how important he is to me and to the team. But when he can score four goals like today, I'm absolutely delighted for him. And he said that, Jesus is a Manchester City player, which was a little bit of an open-ended comment. Or maybe are we just trying to find something there that doesn't exist? He's got another 12 months on his contract. There's the possibility there might be talks in the summer. Is this a bit of a red herring? Or maybe could, despite the fact he's just knocked in four goals, Jesus be moving on this summer? I think the chances are he will go. Um yeah, in terms of him never never being first choice, but everything Pep said there, yeah, he's kind of like the the ideal. If you're not if you're not going to be like De Bruyne or Bernardo Silva or Phil Foden, then he's the kind of the ideal squad player in the sense that he doesn't play all the time, and he but he doesn't kick off, which Guardiola loves, and that's really good for the environment in the, around the first team. Um, it can he can do a job, like he didn't he didn't start between like December twenty ninth. And the start of April in the Premier League when he played against Liverpool. And he played well against Liverpool and scored. Um he he plays well in big games, he can do different jobs. Um, you know, scoring four isn't the exaggerated example of him coming in and doing a good job, but you know, he, he can come in and do a good job. But at the same time, you know, like you say, he's never really nailed down a position in the first team, and there's a reason for that. Other players are, are better and more consistent. Um, considering he's played number nine a lot. He's not he's not a good finisher. I know he's just scored four goals, but I think anyone who's seen him over five years at City would have to agree. Um, but yeah, my argument has always been, as long as you don't expect him to be the next Aguero, he's a really good, useful player to have around. But the issue is now he's out of contract next summer. Um, and I think, you know, he, he's he smiled his way through not playing for a couple of years, but he's not in the Brazil squad. He wasn't in the most recent one. And obviously it's the, it's the World Cup year. So he's thinking... Um, could could get a move, get back in the Brazil squad, play regular football. Everyone's happy. So I think, you know, if if it were up to City maybe, it would make sense to keep him because he's a great player to have around. Um and he doesn't just have to play number 9, he can play on the right or the left. But you know, I don't think it's going to be their decision this time around. I think, you know, those Arsenal links are are solid, but also I wouldn't be surprised if a club around Europe came in for him because I think he'd be a really useful player to have. Switching across to Liverpool and their performance at Anfield against Everton, Jonathan, this was a position where Jurgen Klopp and his players needed to react. Manchester City battering Watford meant that they were four points clear going into this game, final game on Sunday, and it was difficult. It was almost a an old school Merseyside derby, seven bookings. That's the highest, I think, in the last four seasons. Everton restricted Liverpool. They battled, they battled, they battled. Potentially a few contentious decisions from the referee that went against Everton. Talk of Sadio Mane getting away with a yellow card when he possibly should have had a red. But ultimately, Liverpool doing what either champions or champion challengers do getting a win, getting a result when needed. Andy Robertson with a really important goal. And then Divock Origi, the scourge of Everton Football Club, his sixth goal in eight appearances against the Toffees, keeps Liverpool right on Man City's tail. Yeah, it was a really good performance. You know, They had to be patient. It was over an hour before they finally got the, the way through. And Everton were looking like they might just get something. They were well organised. They had pace on the break. Um, you know, Richarlison was obviously getting under everyone's skins. Um, and then, yeah, they just created one... Huge opportunity, and Robertson made no made no mistake with it. So, I think going into the game, everyone expected Liverpool to win that comfortably. Everton are you know really struggling at the moment, but they were well organised and they made it made it difficult. And in terms of the controversies, yeah, I can see why the referees decided some of those decisions he's made. 
I felt that it was one of those where everyone knew what the price was. And I just wonder if that Anthony Gordon penalty, on an, if it had been Brentford versus Aston Villa or something like that, that's the sort of penalty that they would get given. In a game like that, when the eyes of the world are watching, it's just such a big decision for the referee to make and it's easier to not give it than to give it. And I, I felt that was a penalty. Um, the Marnie one, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's slapping Allen in the face, poking at Mason Holgate. I don't know what, it, I don't know whether it's two yellows and obviously the VAR doesn't get, get involved with yellow cards. So I can understand why that's not been given as well. Um, but yeah, on another day, there could have been a, there could have been more going against Liverpool than than a penalty and a, a red card. It would have made it very interesting, and perhaps they got away with that. I want to talk about Everton and the position that they're in, Sam. We're going to talk about Burnley in a bit more detail in the third part of the show, but. They are in a difficult position. There's absolutely no hiding from that. Burnley winning this weekend and Everton losing at Anfield sees them slip down into the bottom three. 29 points from 32 games. They do have a game in hand over Burnley uh, going into the final few weeks of the campaign. And I was actually speaking to an Evertonian friend of mine almost 10 minutes after the game. He rang me and I was expecting him to be screaming down the phone and he wasn't. And he put it across to me in a way that I'd never really thought of, which was going into this block of games... They've actually come out of it better than they expected. Defeat to Crystal Palace in the FA Cup was a real, real low point. Back-to-back defeats against West Ham. Then obviously the famous Sean Dyche away defeat at Turf Moor. But four points from three games, a win against Manchester United. As much as no Everton fan ever wants to lose a derby at Anfield, it was probably the expectation given how well Liverpool are playing at the moment. In a strange way, Everton have almost weathered the storm of this difficult run of games. Chelsea next weekend is going to be difficult, but they're still in with a fighting chance, despite the picture looking pretty bleak. I think you might know the most and possibly only positive Everton fan in the world. I think you might have had a few drinks, I'll, I'll be honest. Um, it's not... I mean, yeah, I mean, again, going through that logic, fair enough, but I mean, while this has happened, yeah, like... Lost, lost that big game to Burnley, and obviously Burnley have sacked Sean Dyche, and they, they suddenly look really good. They're they're playing a bit and and getting results. Um, yeah, the fact the fact that they've got a game in hand is one of those things that everybody kind of loses sight of. Um, they hmm, they've got a bit of a problem, obviously, because Burnley. I think Burnley played before them, and they've obviously got Chelsea, which you wouldn't expect them to get anything from. It's certainly not over. It does look bleak now. And yeah, you make making that case. That's an interesting new perspective on things. But their their running isn't. It's not lovely, Everton. Um, you you. I think I'd be a little bit. I would be very concerned. Like it, it's it looks like panic situation now. And also, the Burnley players. They're used to they're used to these kind of battles. I know it's later than they normally save themselves, but they're used to these kind of battles. I think Everton players, you know, they they weren't bought to the club for this kind of thing. They're not necessarily used to it. Um, Chelsea, Everton, Watford, fair enough. Brentford, possibly difficult. Palace, difficult. And Arsenal, it's not a great running. It's not a great running at all. They're not in good form. Um, yeah, I know they beat United. United are terrible. It's not gone well since then. It's not gone well before then. Um, no, I, I, I don't share. I don't share the optimism actually about Everton. Okay, fair enough. We're not going to do a prediction just yet. We're going to save that until part three when we talk about Burnley. But we are going to give ourselves a quick little break before we wrap up the rest of the weekend's action. After the break, we are talking about Burnley. Another big, big win for the Clarets. They beat Wolves. Leicester City drawing at home to Aston Villa. Newcastle, three goals and three points away at Norwich. And then a high scorer on the south coast, Brighton 2, Southampton 2. We're going to be getting stuck into all of that and looking at the latest relegation picture in just a sec. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Sunday night's edition of the Football Social Daily. As always, here on the Football Social Daily, we are your daily source 
of all things Premier League. If you hit subscribe up the top, you can get access to a brand new episode as soon as it is ready. Every day between now and the end of the campaign, we will have a fresh podcast for you to check out. And if you're looking for match previews and match reviews, you can also check out our website, www.sport-social.com. .co.uk. Right, we're going to wrap up the weekend's action. Jonathan Burnley won, Wolves nil. Big, big win for Burnley this one. Almost an identical performance from their midweek win over Southampton. 1 0 instead of 2 0. But Mike Jackson has got them going. I should say Mike Jackson. Mike Jackson and Ben Mee. He hasn't torn up the rule book that Sean Dyche had in place. In fact, in terms of starting 11s, there's very little changes other than those that have been enforced by injury. But he's got something going. And Burnley have got things exactly where they want them. They've got the edge on Everton. They do have a difficult run in as well. But at the vital point when you need that bit of momentum, and we talk about Burnley going to Burnley or Dyche going to Dyche, one of those things can't happen because Sean Dyche is no longer at the club. But Burnley look like they're doing exactly what they need to do at exactly the right time. Yeah, they've got the momentum. Um, I went to Turf Moor earlier in the season and... I was surprised at the atmosphere. It felt a little bit flat. And we've seen this in the past at other, other clubs of a sort of similar size. I'm thinking of Stoke and, and Wigan, where they had a few seasons in the Premier League under the same manager. And they, they hit some real high points. And, and certainly Burnley did under Sean Dyche. But as, as reality sets in and, and those sort of top half finishes become less and less regular, and, and, and people kind of work out how to beat teams like that, as they did at Stoke. Um, Suddenly, the enthusiasm wanes a little bit, and I, I felt that was what was happening at Turf Moor. Um, you know that that kind of togetherness had, had maybe dis- disappeared a little bit, and they looked odds on for the drop. They got that big, big win against Everton, and and then obviously it was a shock when Deitch was sacked. Uh, was sacked, but yeah, Mike Mike Jackson just brought something out of them. He's brought a real togetherness from the from the fans and into the team. You you see them gathering in the. On the pitch at full at full time and and celebrating with the fans, it's, it's brilliant to see. I, that, that's exactly what that club club needs, and and it's it's such a brilliant place when it's like that. So, yeah, the the, the momentum is really with them, and and you see players like um, you know Dwight McNeil and and Vidra just playing with a little bit more freedom, and they they're kind of it's almost like Jackson came in and said, "We've got nothing to lose, let's just go for it," and yeah, it's turned around brilliantly. Is that almost? the secret to this Sam There's, there was so much speculation of would Burnley bring in a, a stopgap manager for the final few weeks of the, the campaign but the margins are so thin if, if you almost sack someone around the 30 game mark then yeah there's an option to do that but, but if we're past 32 33 games it's almost too much of a risk Mike Jackson knows the players he knows pretty they, they all know what Sean Dyche would have done I don't think they're doing anything particularly different to what Sean Dyche would have done their possession stats are up granted but the performances, the types of goals that they're scoring, you could close your eyes and imagine that that was Sean Dyche on the touchline and not Mike Jackson. Is that kind of what he's got right? By not getting anything wrong, he's actually got it very right. Uh, I, don't, I mean, you, you mentioned the starting lineups being the same, but like McNeil, so yeah, fair enough. But like McNeil's playing off the right and cut, cutting inside, you know, that makes a bit of a difference. It's what most, well, there's loads of people play with the inverted wingers now and. You know, it's it's that that's changed the way the Burnley play. Just in in that sense, you know, it's not so much just kind of in swinging crosses into the box from from out wide and towards the strikers. They're playing more passes, kind of in between the lines. They they do seem to be in. They are they are bringing the ball forward in a different way. Um, but yeah, in terms of the the atmosphere, I just I think the players were sick of Sean Dyche. I mean, I I did months ago that. Um, you know, when he signed a new contract, they weren't all jumping for joy. Um, in terms of the timing, you're right, very weird, very weird timing. You wouldn't have e- expected that, or at least when he was sacked and everyone was going, oh, what's, what's all this about on, on Good Friday? I was thinking, well, presumably they've got a manager to come in and that's why they've done it, but they haven't, obviously. Um, but the way it's going, in the, in the famous words, I give it Mike Jackson till the end of the season. Now, there's no point in bringing anybody else in. Um, it like you say he's got a good thing going on i think the i think the players you see this quite a lot in the with teams that are struggling Some, sometimes they just need a a change of atmosphere obviously it's not always as simple as that and obviously if you look at everton that change of atmosphere hasn't done them any good at all um so yeah he's changed 
slightly things they're doing on the pitch little modifications there but clearly um yeah just uh just got them do just doing a bit more playing, playing a bit more football you know they're not just running through brick walls and you know scrapping their way to wins which they probably got sick of after five or six years and you know if they were a bit a bit less keen on the manager asking them to do it then you can see why it went stale so yeah that that change of just change at the top has, has obviously really helped and like i say he, he may as well keep it now to the end of the season because i don't see the sense in changing it again but well, i guess we'll find out Moving on to one of the other games uh, that's kind of filed under and also ran this weekend, Jonathan. Leicester City nil, Aston Villa nil. A tale of probably their respective forms heading into this one. Leicester are through to the Europa Conference League semi-final, but domestically they've not been great. The last three games they've just got two points. Aston Villa breaking a four-game losing streak with a pretty boring point at the King Power. And looking at Leicester's lineup and looking at that all-important game against Roma in midweek, Jose Mourinho back in the Premier League to, to maybe upset the apple cart a little bit. Brendan Rodgers does seem to be putting all of his, his Easter eggs in that basket because it does give you a route into the Europa League if you win it he knows that they're probably going to fall short of getting there via the Premier League it's a risky strategy but he doesn't really have much of a choice no he doesn't I mean I, I was struggling to stay awake when on match today when this finally came on it wasn't a, a lot to get excited about uh, it's been a weird season for Leicester because it, there's been some real sort of breakthrough um, not performances like but, but players, I suppose, you know, Dewsbury Hall has been absolutely fantastic. Fantastic. Um, Harvey Barnes is getting better at times. Pats and Dakers look really good. And yeah, for all that, it's been a pretty underwhelming season. You know, that, I think the Leicester squad is good enough to be challenging sort of, well, even for the top four, really. I think, I think I really rate Leicester, um, but it's, yeah, it's been a very odd season. Um, but yeah, why not go for the Europa Conference? Um, it's, it's it's clearly brought a lot of excitement, a brilliant win at, uh, at PSV to get them through. Um, yeah, it's it's going it's a potential of another trophy. I, I think it's brilliant, and I, I I think that is the thing that they should be going for. Um, and, and obviously, there's a a route through to Europe for next season. So I, I, it feels like there's a real buzz around them in Europe. So yeah, it's brilliant. Final two games of the weekend, Norwich nil, Newcastle three. We're fairly confident that Norwich is, is goose is cooked, Sam, in terms of Premier League survival. But Newcastle, three goals, three points. They're in a position to maybe break the top 10, which will be the first time they've done it since 2012. And Joe Linton, this snuck up on me, his 100th Premier League appearance for Newcastle, gets himself two goals. Bruno Guimarães, who's been excellent for them in the last couple of weeks, getting another goal. These, these signings have been rightly praised by Eddie Howe because they've not gone ridiculous with the investment that's come in. In January, they weren't sloshing money around on ridiculous targets. They bought players that would keep them in the Premier League and drive them up into mid-table. The question for them now, this summer, is probably to start buying players, don't put the cart before the horse, but players to build, to push for Europa, Europa Conference League. Do you think they've got the building blocks in place based on the players they've already brought in? Well, yeah, I suppose based on what they've done already, you you, you can't say fairer than that. Um, again, in terms of that change in atmosphere, that's obviously gone a long way. But yeah, um, I know when they first got taken over, everyone was starting thinking, oh, Martial, Icardi, you know, players like that that haven't really, big name players that haven't really got on in their clubs. But they obviously, they've not gone for that. Uh, Bruno was obviously a nice little inspired by it. it. took a bit of time for him to start getting into the lineup, maybe just bedding him in. But was it four goals in, in seven starts and a lovely finish as well? Um, I mean, Joel Linton reinvigorated. I, I was I was up, up there um, in December when Newcastle played City and he played in midfield. And I thought, yeah, okay, it's all well and good. But, you know, if De Bruyne is on your shoulder trying to get into the spaces, you're going to have problems. I'm not sure he'll have the discipline for that. But he was absolutely fine, to be fair. Um, and then the the first goal in particular he scored on Saturday was um, was fantastic. And yeah, in terms of the other signings, the in the January ones alongside Bruno, I think Target's done well, and 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 Dan Burns been really popular as well. Um, so in terms of following that blueprint, yeah, carry on. I mean, I suppose there's there's obviously the mix because Bruno is that kind of 
He's one of those players where if you don't watch French football, you won't know too much about him. But then it's like everyone who watches French football is like, bloody hell, this guy's really good. Like when Leicester signed Kante kind of thing. And even Mahrez as well, I think. There's, there's obviously been a, a few of those. I think Ndombele as well, even though it didn't quite work out at Spurs. There's players like that, which they've obviously tapped into well, as well as the kind of without sounding too harsh bread and butter Premier League players um, and yeah with the way they were finishing the season it's it's interesting because their their ambitions probably will be you know I, I was listening to a football phone in on on Saturday after the City game and a Newcastle fan rang in he was talking about Europa League next season so I, I don't know if that will be realistic um, I think from the club's point of view it's good to have that ambition anyway I don't think they'll necessarily have a problem because as long as they've got a long-term plan and they stick to it, eventually, you know, they'll they'll just climb the table. It might be the fans this time next year going, oh, I thought we were going to get better than this and it hasn't quite panned out that way. But the yeah, the way they've been in the last couple of months is really interesting. And just if we go back to part two in the title race, obviously I think Liverpool fans are worried about the trip to Newcastle because it's not long after their second leg, I think, against Villarreal. Um, but obviously City have got Newcastle at the Etihad which normally you'd think oh yeah that, that's that's fine but the way they're playing um, you'd still make City the favourites being at home but yeah they're doing very well and they'll have a say in the title race and I'm sure within a couple of years they'll hope to be having a lot more say in, the, in their own race of the title Final game of the weekend Jonathan down on the south coast four goals and despite the fact Brighton and Southampton don't really have a lot to play for this was a really interesting game two brilliant finishes from James Ward-Prowse another free kick he just seems to knock them in for fun at the moment and I'm doing a bit of digging around on the numbers surrounding Brighton and Southampton because they're both generally speaking with a month to six weeks to go are fine Brighton based on the four seasons they've been in the Premier League average at 16th and Southampton in those same four seasons have averaged at 15th so real run-of-the-mill mid-table type stuff but as it stands both of them are going to improve on that. Brighton are 11th at the minute, 41 points from 34 games. Southampton in 13th, 40 points from 34 games. They probably both will nudge up that average with a strong finish. Brighton get a lot of praise. Graham Potter has got them fantastically well coached. Ralph Arsenal maybe gets forgotten a little bit, despite the fact he's a really capable manager, because maybe Graham Potter is a bit more of a positive choice for a neutral fan, particularly when you watch Brighton play. Who do you think is going to win the war of the South Coast? They couldn't be separated today. <laughs> yeah. Brighton got a little bit of an edge, but do you think they can hold on? Um, you, I mean, it's, it's very difficult, isn't it? I'm sure who. So Brighton, Brighton have got United to place at home, so that should be a comfortable three points. Leads away. Yeah, I think Brighton probably do. I, I mean, obviously, it's a little, perhaps it might be a bit disappointing to see the. The season finishing the way it is, but I think Brighton and Southampton can take a lot from this season. They both, I think, they both picked up some really good results. Obviously, Southampton took uh, two points off City, drawing home and away. So, um, Brighton obviously winning at Arsenal and Spurs recently. They both got good managers, good players coming through, like new signings, like uh, you know Brighton of. Cucurella, I really like. Uh, Webster's looking like a really good centre half, um, and and Southampton, obviously, like you say, Ward Prowse today is incredible with his free kicks. Slightly sad from hearing about what's happening to Tino Livramento because he's had a brilliant season, sensational season, and it was going to be really interesting to see. Well, hopefully, he would stay at Southampton next season and and just keep on progressing because the. Uh, you know, he's got a real opportunity there, but um, by the sounds of it, it sounds like he could be out for a while. He's picked up a serious injury, so hopefully he'll be back sooner than later. But I mean, I th- he was still a bit of an out- outside bet to be at the World Cup, but you know, long term, he's looking like a really exciting player. Right, to wrap up, we're going to do a relegation prediction, Sam. We're going to go to you first, and we'll do it slightly different than we did the top four. We're just going to go with the numbers, so you're not going with your gut. We're going to present the numbers, and then you're going to give us your call. So, how many points do Burnley get from their final game? So, Watford away, Villa at home, Spurs away, Villa at home, eh, sorry, Villa away, and then Newcastle at home on the final day. How many points do Burnley get from that? Hold on, what what what, what happened there? How, who have they got? Did they have Villa? Sorry, right, did I miss here? Did they have Villa at home and away? Presumably that's not right. They've got they've got Villa twice. Hold on, I'll, I'll go through it again. So. A little a little glitch on the uh, on the Premier League fixture calendar. So they've got Watford away, 
Aston Villa at home, Tottenham away, Aston Villa away, and Newcastle at home. Six points. That's a bit. Uh, it might sound a bit low, that, but six points. All right, six points would put them on 37. So Everton, let's have a little look at Everton's game. So go back to you, Sam. So Everton do have an extra game, uh, game in hand. Chelsea at home, Leicester away, Watford away, Brentford at home, Palace at home, Arsenal away. Mm, six. So that means Everton down, doesn't it? That means Everton down. That means six for each. That means Burnley on 37 and Everton on 35, which would see them down. If it is just those two, obviously Leeds are still in the picture. Um, I'm not going to read them again, Jonathan, but based based on those games put forward, Sam's gone for six each for Mike Jackson and Frank Lampard, which would mean Everton go down unless Leeds are dragged back into it. How do you see this going? I Well, I've, I had it as seven for Burnley and nine for Everton. So that would be goal difference. Yeah. Ooh, okay. And uh, it's going to... But I, I, I think Leeds are definitely in it. I know that they've they've obviously done really well under Jesse Marsh. Three wins in the last four. It feels like a big one tomorrow night away at Crystal Palace. They've got City the week after that, and then Arsenal and Chelsea. So, you know, I, I could see them losing all four of those. I'm being dragged right into it. I'm actually, I've got a sneaky feeling that Leeds are going to go. I think Leeds are the only other team that are going to go down. Do you know what, Jonathan? You're the first person we've had on in weeks that has agreed with me on that, and I fully agree. I think Burnley have got the scrap in them and they've got the momentum to get out. Everton, I just think the weight of Frank Lampard being the manager to take them down, the fact that they've never been relegated, I just think they're just going to go and go and go. And Leeds, despite, as you say, the positivity that Jesse Marsh has brought in, are facing a little bit of a slide in the final few weeks. But as it stands, it probably is going to be those three. Leeds find themselves slightly on the edge of it at the moment, but Burnley and Everton are right in the mix. Uh, Brilliant show this weekend, guys. We're going to wrap it up for Sunday's edition of the Football Social Daily. Jonathan, Sam, as always, thanks for your time. Thank you very much, lads. Thanks for having us. Great stuff indeed. We'll be back tomorrow previewing that big game between Leeds and Crystal Palace. The team will be chewing over the fat from the weekend. Some big, big talking points. Crystal Palace leads in Premier League action and then building up to the Champions League semi-finals. Manchester City up against Real Madrid and Liverpool up against Villarreal. The action does not stop from here until the end of the season. So hit subscribe and you can stay with us all the way to the final game of the campaign. Thanks for listening and we'll speak to you again very, very soon. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.